Welcome to Blossoming Technologist, a podcast for young professionals in tech. I'm your host, Marissa, and today we're joined by my friend, Mahmoud Kader. Mahmoud is human first. He's a proud Egyptian immigrant, passionate about empowering underserved communities through mental health education. Mahmoud previously worked at Facebook and Google and is now the co-founder and CEO of Floramind, an organization that develops tools to guide young people toward positive mental health. From hosting workshops to giving talks, Mahmoud is on a mission to end unnecessary suffering and empower others. Today, we talk about his journey into tech and entrepreneurship, like how he launched startups and lessons he learned from those experiences. We discuss tips and resources on practicing good mental health and why it's important, as well as what toxic positivity is and how it affects your life. Get ready for some serious motivation and inspiration. Let's jump in. Mamu, thank you so much for being here. Um, I wanted to start off with how you got into the tech industry and how did that lead into entrepreneurship? Mm, wonderful question. And thank you for having me on. Um, I think... Uh, I think we have a common connection point there, uh, but I'll start a little bit earlier. Um, my entry into tech was uh, kind of uh, between high school and college. I had just graduated from high school and uh, decided to go back to Egypt to spend the summer there to see family after coming here for about six or seven years. So that was our first time going back. I ended up getting stuck in Egypt. Uh, for a few months and that made me miss my first year of college so when i came back i was confused i didn't know what to do um, i ended up using my networking skills and landed a job with a with a nonprofit. and that nonprofit was already using technology to train uh you know high school students to be the next generation of business leaders it's called virtual enterprise international fantastic nonprofit. And so uh, I just started kind of doing, you know, a little bit of work there with social media, program management, and then uh, did my first hackathon. I got a, uh, it was a hackathon at NYU. And I was just, I guess I was, um, I was intrigued by startups and I had just started to read a little bit about them. And I, I was always passionate about starting a business. But when I did that hackathon, it was different because it was very, um, it wasn't what I thought starting a business was going to be like. And I, I, I guess I also hadn't thought so much about technology until that point. And, uh, you know, we did the, the hackathon thing. We pulled an all-nighter. <laughs> Extremely unhealthy. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but sometimes it's okay. It's okay to do things like that sometimes as long as it's not our day-to-day. Um, did the hackathon and just felt really excited to be part of building you know an app in like you know 48 hours and i thought that was so cool and we presented we didn't win anything but that made me interest it piqued my interest i think after that um things seemed more obvious for me so i got a i met this founder of a small startup that was just starting off um while i was working at that nonprofit, and he uh you know he had told me about this idea they were building called linnet for last minute events and I was just so passionate about it. And at the time, I wanted to start my own idea, um, but I found his idea a lot cooler. And I was like, you know what? Can you know? Can I come work for you? Can I come support you? Can I do anything? Like, and he took a you know he took a chance on me. So I interned with him. I was at this nonprofit, and um, I interned there. And I ended up joining them on a more full time basis and worked with them for a year and a half. But that, that kind of continued. And then, of course, the last point here is that uh, going through Google's CSSI program where we met, uh, which was the summer of that year before I started college, uh, was kind of the cement of wanting to be in the tech world and wanting to and understanding more of the development side of technology and feeling excited to be able to build something. Uh, and I think that kind of like pushed me to say, hey, I always want to work or not always. I mean, I want to work in tech and I want to do something impactful in this in this space. Yeah, it's amazing how one program has impacted so many of us. Like there were 30 of us in the program and I think a lot of us are still in the tech industry or doing things related to tech. And then you were talking about being in tech, but then 
doing that internship, which was in high school, um, how did you, how did you then turn into doing like entrepreneurship in college? Well, one, I, I was very inspired. I mean, once you get that experience working in a startup and, and you get to see and learn from people doing that work, I feel like most people that work at startups want to start their own companies. Otherwise, there's very um, small incentive to work at a startup. And I'm specifically talking about really early stage. So early stage startups give you an amazing opportunity to learn how to build a company. And they give you amazing connections, of course. Uh, and they give you unqualified roles to be able to do the work. And I think, I think people that do it, like myself, want to be entrepreneurs or want to start their own thing. So anyway, I got excited by that. And I, uh, I started getting passionate about different problems. And so my first startup that I founded myself afterwards uh, was called Runner. Well, initially it was called Vendor, but turned into Runner. And I was passionate about eating halal food. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I just love it. I mean, it's so cheap, affordable, college student, you know, you got to oh, get great. that $5 plate. And I would always stand on lines uh, and I felt like the line was a little too long and I was so hungry. I'm like, what? And they never took credit cards. And I thought this is kind of like ridiculous. And so that started with that problem, right? You identify the problem and you're like, well, I kind of want to help this. I want to help solve it, especially since now I know like, how technology works. And I know that I can start something from scratch without needing that much resources. And so that was my first startup idea was building a product to help uh, food vendors, street vendors and carts uh, use technology to serve their customers and increase their business and make things more efficient, et cetera. And uh, yeah, that was a good run for about eight months uh, and then shut it down. So that was a sad story, sad story at the end, but we can, we can get into it later. <laughs> Wait, I have to ask, how did it end? Or like, why did it end? Oh, great. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, honestly, I, I, I always say, I, I never like to say a startup dies. It's, it's very, very rare circumstance that a startup just dies. It's usually the co-founders or the founders deciding to kill it or deciding to end it. And so for me, basically, we were in this competition to win $25,000. We lost the competition, which was, I guess it was very unexpected. We thought we were going to win because we built an MVP. We had funneled thousands of dollars to those businesses. And we actually did something during that time. And um, yeah, we, we lost the money. Our team was so demotivated after that. And I think, I think we could have continued. And I did have a shot at continuing, um, but I got an offer from Facebook to do an internship with them. And um I guess uh, what I decided initially was, hey, I'll take this opportunity to intern with Facebook. This is going to be great money, great learning, great connections. And I told myself I'll do it remotely, kind of building the startup remotely, um, which was so hard to do. I mean, I'm building a New York City startup. And when I did Facebook, it was in Austin and trying to build, which essentially ends up being a logistics business um, since we got more into delivery later on and trying to deliver um trying to be the delivery people for these carts was just extremely difficult. And I decided this was just like too much to manage. And um, yeah, I ended up. Yeah. And I mean, it happens. And like you were saying, like a different opportunity came up and that's the way it went, um, which is a perfect segue into your experience in tech. And I specifically want to talk about you interning at Facebook and Google. And so during that time, you studied the intersection of technology and entrepreneurship. Um, how has your experience in the tech industry also then shaped your view on mental health, which is now your focus? Wow, that's a great question. Um, so... I think I'm going to start, I guess, with the ending of that. I think working at these companies, it gave me a big eye-opener for how tech really has an impact on billions of people's lives. Like I, th I think people, it's you get such a different perspective when you are inside those companies and you see like the numbers of people it's impacting. You see the revenue that's coming in. You see the, you meet the people that are doing the work. You hear their stories. You hear what's happening, how it's happening. And you get that experience firsthand. And you just, I mean, I was completely mind blown by what these companies are doing. 
And I think every time I had an opportunity to intern at one of these companies and then other internships I also did um, outside of them, uh, one thing that was consistently there was that people were always tired. People were always exhausted from work. People always wanted to escape from their jobs. Even if they loved their job, they were working so hard at their jobs that they were burning out that they needed, you know, they need to take a lot of time off or they were always like, uh, you know, I, I just heard so many different stories about uh, people struggling and no one really said mental health per se, like those words, but that happened. And, and of course, from my perspective, that's also uh, some of the challenges that I faced with working in tech was that it requires so much out of you. You need to go above and beyond to deliver and to, you know, try to build a career here and I think it impacted me so much that after every one of those experiences and also during college and trying to balance everything um, it I always felt like this was uh, too much to handle and that it, sh- it shouldn't have to be this way and I think um, after so after I shut down runner uh, and this was after Facebook so I did Facebook I shut down that company and I told myself I'm not starting I'm never starting another company again. <laughs> well, first it was never again. And then I, I, I didn't want to do it. So, and then I interned with the mayor's office. And then I said, I added like a kind of a lot, uh, additional statement. I said, unless like it's something I'm deeply passionate about to the point where like, it doesn't make sense for me to work on anything else. And I can deeply, you know, relate to this problem because it will, it'll help a lot because startups are hard. And, and trying to build something from the ground is extremely difficult. So um, that was my segue into mental health, which kind of stemmed out of a conversation with my two best friends, um, just talking about our life experience and and talking about it, not from a sense of like, you know, like, oh, what did we do when we were younger? More like, what were our specific challenges, like emotionally? And that was a conversation we never had had before. And after we had it, we just felt so angry and upset growing up in a world and a system and an education system and a community, et cetera, that did not value mental health, that did not prioritize, you know, the, the needs of, of mental health across the world and across our, our neighborhoods, et cetera. And, you know, despite our suffering, we never found those resources. So that, that made a lot of sense for me to say, okay, well, this is something I actually do want to work on. And it's something that impacts every single person on the planet. And that's extremely powerful. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of talk about, you mentioned how like the tech industry requires so much of you. Do you have anything specifically like, why, why is the tech industry unique in that way? And those things that make it unique, how can people combat those feelings or deal with their job being so tiresome or facing burnout? I guess, um, I think most jobs do exhaust people. I I think there is nuances to working in tech and some challenges that are specific to tech that you can think about or talk about. For example, if you're working in a company that has hyper growth or, uh, you know, a later stage startup that over time your role is constantly changing, they're demanding more of you, you are responsible for more, maybe not getting paid the same, or you're just kind of, everything changes so fast that um, it's really hard to keep up and it's really hard to, uh, you know, do the work that's required of you in a 40 or even 50 or 60 hour work week. And and so I guess um, not all jobs in tech are like that for sure. And not every company is like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I think in general, doing work is exhausting depending where you work, of course, um, and also depending on the person, how you manage it. Uh, but tech has that additional nuance that, uh, you know, there's always a new benchmark and something that you're trying um, to do to be able to to go to the next level that it, it makes it harder to manage. Yeah. One thing that I'm kind of thinking about is like with technology being so present in everyone's lives. Like, I feel like it's also kind of harder to sign off from work because you're always with your computer. You're always available via email or whatever it may be. So that's something I was thinking about um, that maybe, maybe that also impacts it. But yeah, there's just so many 
so many tough things that come with like any job. I think you said that very well. And then with you getting started into mental health and you talking with your two friends, um, I believe that is when you started Floramind in 2018. And so your company is to solve the youth mental health crisis by empowering children, educators, and parents with mental health education. Can you talk a little bit more about what Floramind does? Yeah, absolutely. So we started Floramind to specifically focus on education. Um, it wasn't always like that. Uh, we we had a lot of different ideas in the early days, but what we focused on and agreed upon was education because uh, we wanted to start as early as possible. And we thought after doing kind of a analysis of the problems in the mental health space and seeing what's available and what's missing, there's a lot of options for treatment. And I mean, there's still work that needs to be done there, but there's not enough work at all in early uh, intervention and prevention work and health promotion work, which makes sense because um, that stuff is really hard for you to find money for. And so most of the money is where you can treat and diagnose, and that's our healthcare system in general. You will find money uh, to be able to, help people with disease, but to keep people healthy and prevent them from disease, it's much harder problem to solve. I don't even know why we chose it. I know why we chose it, but it was, um, yeah, we were passionate about it. Anyway, so what, what we actually do, um, we go into classrooms and we teach young people, and then eventually it became teachers and, and, and parents uh, skills to be able to, to manage their mental health, uh, to deal with stress, to understand the different components of mental health. So we talk about topics from, uh, you know, stigma around mental health. What are the negative connotations do we have as society or community uh, to talking about relationships, talking about intersectionality, talking about social media usage, bullying. Um, and, and we uh, even uh, a few more topics like substance use and suicide prevention. And we, we, we try to cover like a good spectrum of kind of mental health to, to make sure that, you know, young people really understand that it's integrated in every, almost every single thing we do. Like mental health has to do with your day-to-day life, how you think, feel, and act, the decisions you make, your community, your friends, where you go to school, etc. cetera. Uh, so we teach those topics uh, through a skill-based approach. So we, uh, how that actually looks like is, you know, um, sharing some knowledge, but really focusing on teaching skills like meditation, mindfulness, deep breathing, gratitude, journaling, um, understanding your thoughts, et cetera. And, um, and then also really focusing on a culturally sensitive lens that tries to understand where are young people coming from and how do we build products that focus on youth culture and also accommodate uh, young people of color. And so we, we've done that in a few different ways over the years. One of those ways has been through uh, implementing the hip hop education framework. So using songs, popular songs um, in hip hop and also out of hip hop uh, to break down in the classroom that relate to mental health and talk about them. Also using poetry and art uh, and and public figures to make it more relatable and make the conversation easier to access and easier to understand. Um, And so we, yeah, we we did, uh, all of our work was in person for the first few years. Um, and so that looked like um, sometimes it was one-off workshops initially just to get get the ball rolling and get people to see what we're doing and then kind of turned more into programs, uh, whether it's like four sessions and then one of the last ones we did was 10 sessions. So it was really long with like an entire middle school, um, entire grade level. Uh, and we kind of, I guess, eventually realized, you know, doing work directly with youth is very important, but you if you're not hitting the teachers and the parents, it, be- it becomes really difficult to push that work forward um, in a meaningful way. And those adults really matter in the young people's lives. And if, if you're not kind of addressing it, you know, you're all- it almost like backfires in a weird way because the educators who spend most of the time in the classroom have to be on the same page. And so do the parents that children spend even maybe majority of the time with. Um, and so we started incorporating that as well to bring in parents and, and teachers and teach them uh, these different topics and have conversations with them and, and co-create kind of create and co-understand with them 
their perspective and be able to share ours on kind of what how we think uh, you know they can support youth um, youth mental health. Oh, it's it's just incredible work, and I I'm so happy to hear like specifically what you do um, because it's so necessary. Like that's not in our education system. We get all the different kinds of um, health. Like we have a health class every year of school, but mental health is barely talked about, or if it is, it has a stigma to it. And so the work you're doing really must, must help kids realize that like, it's okay to have those conversations and that adults like need to be okay with that and be better role models for that. I'm also really curious um, from your time teaching these workshops and doing these programs, have you had any like moments where it just clicked for some kid or was like a really inspiring time teaching to them? Yeah, we, we, we've had plenty of, um, I mean, some of them heartbreaking interactions. Some of them have been a wonderful um, conversations that, we get feedback um, about how an activity helped um, someone think through something or or go through something. I think w- one of the ones that really resonated with our team was a little bit more on the heartbreaking side, and it was with a school um, where we were we we're having a conversation, and we we during our conversations we like to leave space uh, to be able to have. So aside, we're doing the skill training, we're teaching them skills, we're sharing knowledge, and then, of course, we need to have discussion. We need to be able to talk to the classroom and not just make it a one-way street. And we we were asking young people to share, and we were asking them, you know, just to share, like, mental health, stigma, anything that they wanted to, to that was top of mind. And one of the students had told us that she had, at some point, um, in the school a few months ago was feeling suicidal and she, she a lot was going on in her life overwhelmed and she didn't know where to go to for help and so when she shared that with the school and the school didn't know like well it's not that they didn't know what to do schools have procedure and their procedure is not always great for example what happened in this situation she was telling us is that the school called an ambulance and the ambulance basically came and dragged her like out of the building. And it made such a horrible scene for her um, to, to have to be dragged out. She didn't want to go with them. And it was such a traumatic experience for her to kind of, it shows you uh, in a very sad example, kind of societal stigma and our approach to mental health that this person shared that they're going through something and was treated in like such a horrible way that left a greater mark on them. And I think um, the part for me that bothers me the most about this entire thing is that it did not only impact her um, and it did not just leave a mark on her, but it left a message to the entire school that this is an example of what can happen if we talk about mental health. If you talk about having these type of thoughts. So, I mean, if I was, if I was a student at the school, I would never ever share with anyone in school, which makes it so much worse because schools are actually for a lot of children also uh, safe havens. And there are places where children are 10 times more likely to get mental health support uh, and treatment uh, because schools have onsite practitioners and teachers and schools are able to notice things. They're able to do referrals. They're able to support kids in ways that they don't, they're not able to get that support at home or p- their parents wouldn't even be supportive of them getting that support. So it's not the case in every school, but that's it's one of the things that, and we had to kind of break it down in the class and talk about it. And we actually spoke with the school afterwards to get them to rethink the approach in which how they support students and how these type of interactions happen. But we tried to in the classroom to make sure and you know really dissect it and share with everyone else how you know, the, the, maybe there's different ways to share if you're having suicidal thoughts and here are other resources. Here's, you know, the counselor directly that you can speak with. And I think I think this is kind of um, part of what fuels our work is uh, minimizing situations like that in which kind of you get, in a way you get punished for sharing. And um, yeah, 
on the other side, we've had, uh, you know, uh, w- one workshop, for example, where we did an activity and afterwards, uh, after one of the activities that we did, which uh, this was a workshop in Brooklyn, we had done um, a meditation. And right after the workshop, like we had like three young people come up to us at the same time. And they were like, that was the best like thing that I've ever done. And it made me feel so relaxed and I'm going to meditate like every day. And I, I think those, um, those type of stories just also give you an idea into what you can do, what you, how you can impact someone by, by, by sharing that with them. Yeah, you really see the change that you're making by going into these schools. Um, and with your first story, I think it's really important because you are trying to reduce that stigma with mental health, um, trying to make sure that people know that like, not only should you feel comfortable, like you need to have a good environment to be able to talk to people about it, but you shouldn't feel like scared to do it. Um, and mental health is something that you should be talking about. Like it should be something that we've always known that we can talk about, but because our education system never taught us that we, we just, we don't think about it. And then that, that even goes into adults today. I think a lot of the programs you're doing adults today need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you're um, like, I know, I know. <laughs> had, I mean, we've had so many conversations about how we can extend our work and, and be able to also support adults. I, I, I think it's, um, it's more of only a matter of when rather than if we would do it uh, because there's so much work that still needs to be done to be able to support young people. And we just really want to hone in and focus on that and not be, you know, distracted in a way I mean, you know, if we get the resources and we get the funding and we get the hiring and we get the people, let's do it. I mean, you know, <laughs> send it our way. We'll make it happen. But till then, we'll, you know, we'll be very keen and focused on, on, on supporting young people. Yeah. And at least like by supporting young people, you are supporting the next generation of adults. And so hopefully the next generation will be able to deal with mental health better. And speaking of that, um, what can people do now to practice good mental health? Do you have any like tips and tricks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is uh, a thousand things that people can do. And I, I think whenever I try to give tips on stuff like this, I, I want to start with a reminder that everyone is different and um, what works for other people is probably not going to work for you. So I can tell you, oh, maybe you should try meditating or deep breathing or you know, spending a few minutes a day on gratitude, all that stuff can work for you, can also not work for you. I think um, just kind of start with the first important thing to start with is truly convincing yourself and your mind and your heart that this is something you need and you need to prioritize in your life in a way where um, it's not constantly being pushed to the side as a luxury, um, rather it is a necessity that, can enable you to live a better life and do better work and have better relationships. And so uh, the reason why that's important is because if you establish that and you make that type of commitment to yourself and in your life, it'll be so much easier to try a thousand things. If, if, if that is one of your top goals that you get done every day is you do a few things for your mental health, whether it's through taking a walk or calling a friend or reaching out to a therapist or whatever it is, um, you'll find different ways to do it and you'll see what works for you and what doesn't, but you won't be able to do that unless it's a priority. So first is prioritize it. Um, I guess if I would add one more, um, I would say when you start, for a lot of people initially that are not familiar with taking care of themselves and their mental health, et cetera, it's going to be extremely difficult. And so be very kind to yourself and forgiving for the days you're going to mess up and the things that you're going to do that are not going to, you know, align with how you want it to go. And it's just like kind of the same idea to doing anything for your mental health applies to so many other spaces and approaches in life. Uh, you know, you fail, you get back up and you try and you continue trying um, to do it. And, uh, I, I think that's that's extremely important. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into more specific tips, but I'll say one of the one of the ones that worked for me the best is having routines and being religious about routines. 
And so, um, you know, you have to be flexible, generally speaking. But if you can set yourself routines every day that promote your health and well-being, um, I, th- I think that's fantastic. And so my example is um, I, I limit technology like the first hour to two hours of the day. I'm not responding to people's texts. I'm not responding to email. I'm not like, you know, on Instagram, on social, that stuff drains my energy. It drives me crazy. It makes me feel like I'm in a shortage, like in my life. It makes me feel jealous. It makes me feel um, like I wasted my time and just such a horrible way to start my day and how you start your day matters. And I, so I try to work out in the morning I try to eat healthy, you know, and so that's part of my morning routine. And then throughout the day, I try to implement other things to make sure like I, you know, I pray throughout the day, I go out for walks and I try to set strong boundaries. So generally speaking, routines and boundaries. So boundaries kind of go hand in hand with routines in the sense that if you set strong routines, you have to have boundaries to your life and kind of who has access to you and what has access to you at what time and when in the day. So I think that is a more practical and um, easy examples that you can see, but it will always go back to you having to constantly prioritize it in your life. And if you, like for you personally, if you go a day where maybe you get out of your routine or you look at your social media when you wake up or something, like how does that make you feel? Oh yeah. To be honest, it sucks, but um, I'm still working on this and I, I think I've gotten better the last uh, few months, especially throughout the pandemic is I, for, I try to forgive myself very quickly and I, tr- I just try to let it go um, because the more you dwell on bad decisions you've made or mistakes you've made, um, the more you're kind of building those places in, in your mind and in your heart and your emotions um, to feel those feelings of, of regret or guilt or, you know, just constantly feeling like you you messed up. And that's not a good place to be in. You know, it's okay to mess up. That's fine. You acknowledge it and you move on. So I, I try to do that actively. Um, and I try to minimize, like, regretting and, and saying, oh, well, I haven't worked out today. You know, and especially because we, it, it becomes, it's such a bad cycle. Once you start, uh, you know, being overly regretful and sad and disappointed about decisions you made, they just make you make more bad decisions that you're going to regret even more. So like one activity turns into, Oh, I had just, I just made bad decisions all day. That turns into like three days and turns into a week. And then sooner or later you're going to be like, I had a horrible three months. And that's like, that's unacceptable for you to allow yourself to do that because we forget we have so much control in our lives over certain things. And if we focus on what we can control, constantly and try to let go of things we can't control we can bounce back a lot quicker and we can feel a lot better so that's what I constantly try to remind myself yeah I I feel that so much because I'm I'm someone I make to-do lists all the time and I'll be like all right for the weekend I have like 20 items I need to get done and then like Monday comes and I only have like 10 items done and I just feel awful. Um, and then I try to be kind to myself and be like, okay, like realistically, no one can get all of those done in a weekend. Um, so like you need to figure out what works for you. I think that's so important. And then what you were saying actually made me think of your talk on YouTube uh, on toxic positivity. And I want to talk a little bit about that. So your, your TED talk is called how toxic positivity leads to more suffering. Mm-hmm. And this made me think of it because you were talking about like prioritizing yourself and thinking about what you need. And I know in the talk, you talked about how you were talking to someone and they said like, who do you love? And you listed all these people. And then uh, your friend said, what about yourself? You didn't list yourself. And I think that's so important. I don't know if you want to talk about that excerpt specifically, because um, I have a few other questions, but it was so powerful. Yeah, that's, um, I think when I was having that conversation, I had chills all over my body because I I just thought like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little kind of like, uh, it's, it's a thing with speech and how your mind thinks and how you respond to things. And so it's like, oh yeah, but like who would have said themselves? But it is, it is truth that, Whatever you're constantly thinking about, whatever you're constantly consuming and, and making decisions about, it, it takes up that space in your brain. And 
you kind of become it in a sense. And so if we're constantly putting other people's needs in front of our own and we're constantly extending love and, you know, gratitude and forgiveness and compassion to other people, but we're always in deficit ourselves. I mean, how, how does that really feel? And, how, and you have to think about that. You have to think about why you do it. You have to think about, uh, you know, how that impacts your life. And I think you just quickly realize that it just really makes sense to prioritize yourself and fill your own cup before you try to fill other people's. Yes. It, just, it makes it so much easier for you to support other people, makes it easier for you to show up uh, fully as yourself, makes it easier for you to live a life that you're not constantly resenting people for taking from you or taking from your time or taking from your energy because you're, you've filled your own thing and you're good. So yeah, that was a, that was a really powerful moment. So I know I, I name dropped some toxic positivity and I would actually love if you could explain like what is toxic positivity and what inspired that Ted talk? Yeah, absolutely. So toxic positivity um, to just uh, start with the definition uh, a push for a mental state in which we only experience and show positive emotions. And so it, it's a tendency for us to react to our own suffering and others' suffering with, with what is um, reductive statements of positivity. So we um, essentially, in, in more kind of casual words, it's our constant need and feeling to have to be positive all the time, uh, which is an unnatural idea that that has been kind of pushed by society more recently rather than you know um, in the past and i think it's um there's, there's a lot of harm in wanting to experience a certain type of emotion only so th there are people who get confused for example when i say especially after the talk came out when i say like toxic positivity and they're like well uh, an emotion can't really be toxic that's weird that you would call positivity toxic like how can being positive be toxic and that's a great question i i would actually and usually i try to tell them i actually only focus on positivity because that's what's being pushed all the time if we were being pushed to be negative all the time i would have just called it toxic <laughs> and it's not just me calling it psychologists are calling it and other people are calling it um if we were told to experience um gratitude well, all the time. Actually, gratitude might, uh, I'm not sure if there's negative effects of being overly gratitude, but um, I think um, if you just try to push yourself to experience one thing in an extreme level, it's never healthy. Yeah. And so that's the whole idea behind the talk and what inspired it is kind of growing up and going through um, so many different experiences where people try to help but instead they invalidate what I'm going through and what I've seen others go through. And they try to push you to get over things quickly without really addressing them. And so this happened to me with some of my family members, it happened to me with friends, it happened with interactions. And I think you just see it like everywhere you go now with people talking about good vibes only or talking about like positive vibes only, or, you know, I don't want any negativity in my life. And, and I get it. And there's, we just have to be more nuanced in our conversation because um, statements like that discourage people from seeking help. They discourage them and make them feel shameful for feeling negative emotions or for going through negative experiences and having negative emotions about those negative experiences. And then they go in a different loop of shame and guilt of these different, I mean, it, it goes into shame fully, not even just guilt of feeling like, oh, I can't get over this. I can't be positive about this situation. So there's something wrong with me, something fundamentally wrong with me, and I'm not able to, to, to progress in life. And so you just start thinking that, oh, and that's where, that's where things get really dark with people feeling like they're not worth it, feeling like they're not good enough. Um, and so that's, uh, that's the whole thing about toxic positivity. I think there's one thing I'd like to add here, which is that, having a positive mindset is very different from wanting to experience positive emotions all the time. And so I didn't have enough time to cover this topic on that, on, on the TED talk, but we essentially having a positive outlook on life is extremely helpful because yes, you need to see 
the silver lining. It's important to see the good in COVID and be able to see, okay, well, this is all the bad stuff that happened, but here's like something good that I can focus on. Here's something positive that I can generally put my energy towards, or here's what I learned out of this experience. So that that is helpful because um, we need to have that type of mindset to improve ourselves and our communities. And, and that goes, I think, hand in hand with optimism, um, kind of the whole idea of having hope and, and looking forward to the future and seeing the good in things. The other part that I'm trying to address is wanting to experience positive emotions all the time is just unrealistic. Even when people say life's goal should be happiness or trying to be happy, I completely disagree. What, why are we trying to chase an emotion that really is only supposed to be there when something makes us feel that emotion? Why happiness? Why do we want to only feel positive emotions when life actually um, a lot of life is suffering and hardship, and we have to be able to navigate and deal with those emotions of suffering and hardship, whether it's through grief or the loss of job. We need to be able to experience that to really feel positive emotions, right? It's like when people say you can't really appreciate sunshine until you see, you know, and you're in rain and you see darkness. It's a similar concept. We have to be able to appreciate and see struggle for what it is and allow ourselves to feel emotions that are quote-unquote negative, to be able to cry, to feel some sense of regret about decisions we made, or guilt about something we said to someone, or deeply missing someone that passed away, or feeling like I messed up, that this job happened, and being able to internalize what happened here, what can I learn from it, before I I move on and say, okay, cool, now I'm going to just focus on the next thing, I'm going to focus on being positive about this after I'm, I'm able to process it to some extent. Um, so that's the message that I would like people to remember. I have one more thing to add on this, which is that I think since I gave that talk, which was in 2019, I've realized that it is also okay for you to want good vibes only in your life in a general sense, meaning that there are times where I don't want to hear people complaining, for example, about their day to me, or I don't want a certain energy around me with people, you know, talking crap about other people or always complaining and focusing on the negative so much that it impacts me. And I'm like, I actually want an environment where I can be alone and I want to play good music and I want these good vibes. So I think it's actually okay to curate your experience to some extent as long as you realize it will not be the way that you live all the time. Um, and so if someone wants to like turn on sad music and cry, and that's what they want to do, great. If you want to put on a motivational speech and you want to get motivated and you want good vibes in your, in your space, that's also awesome. Just remember how our language and the things we say and how we interact with everyone impacts our lives and theirs because it always does. Oh my gosh. Okay. So first of all, like, like curate the vibes. I feel like that should be your next t-shirt. Um, curate the vibes around you. And I agree with everything you said. It's such a balance. Emotions are all a balance and you really do need the negative emotions to greater appreciate the positive ones. Like you said, um, it actually makes me think of inside out. Have you seen that Pixar movie? wonderful movie yeah so like the whole like meaning behind it is that like you need the sad emotions and the happier ones are better and I actually I'm I'm really curious so like in this talk you you give like suggestions for if instead of saying like just be positive to a friend who's suffering um you should say something like I don't even know what to say right now I'm just so glad that you told me but like what if you have that friend who is trying to say, just be positive or is giving you toxic positivity and you know that you just want to like be in your emotions. How do you respond to that? That's a great question. I think you, you have to be careful with how you respond, but you also need to be honest. And so um, a, a good way to respond to this would be, um, you know, I appreciate that you're trying to give me feedback right now on how to deal with this, but I really want to just be sad right now or I really want to be alone at the moment, or I really need to cry right now. And, and that is what I need. And being very specific with, with 
with that. Sometimes we don't know what we need. Um, and that's also okay. We might need some time to be introspective or just be alone or to talk it out. I, I, but it is important to try to get there in terms of identifying, okay, well, this person's telling me to just be positive. But what I actually need right now, I just feel like I want to vent. And you should just communicate that. And you'll be surprised. Most people will actually be receptive. And, you know, you can tell them, hey, like, I know you're trying to get me to get over this quickly, but I actually need to talk this out. And if you can give me like 30 minutes of your time, that'd be like awesome. You know, and, and sometimes you have to reinforce it. Like you try, you keep trying with people until they get it. Sometimes you're talking to the wrong people and you need to know that as well. You need to know who in your friend or family circle or, or even outside of that is the right person for you to share these things from and work through them with them based on what you need. And so sometimes people don't have friends or family members that they can talk to without feeling constantly invalidated, without feeling shameful out of walking a conversation with them. And that's probably when you should try to seek, you know, professional help or um, there's so many now resources that are online and they're for free um, that, you know, like crisis text line matches you up with a counselor, trained counselor 24 seven and so many others that now it, it just be- becomes a lot easier to, to seek help. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great advice. Um, and I was going to ask if you had any like resources for people seeking mental health help. Is there anything, anything else that you can think of? Yeah. Th- I mean, there's a lot of these online companies that you can text or call. And so crisis text lines, one of them, of course, there's the um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention hotline. Um, that's another one. There's uh, usually, and uh, I think a lot of cities in America now are launching local mental health support. So I know the city of New York, for example, has its own um, hotline and texting line called New York City Well. So those are some of the free ones. Um, There's, of course, a lot of other ways to seek help. Getting a therapist is an obvious one that you hear a lot. So it's like, oh, you can go get a therapist. There's plenty of platforms and companies now that offer that type of support. There's also um, support that you can get through, you know, faith-based organizations I think uh, people sometimes tend to forget that a lot of faith-based orgs actually also support people's mental health in a way. Um, not in a, I mean, They definitely do. They, they help a lot, depending on, I guess, who you talk to and how, and how your community is. Usually, depending, depending on it, there's a lot of help there. There's a ton of resources online. Floramind's website has a whole page dedicated to resources, so you can go there or you can kind of quick Google search can get you a lot of results. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so Mahmoud, I could literally talk to you for hours, but (laughs) (laughs) I think we should start wrapping up. So I have a few like more fun questions. My first one is what is your favorite quote? Ooh, a quote by uh, Paulo Coelho uh, from the alchemist. And he says something along the lines of, whatever you're trying to do, the universe is on your side and trying to help you do it. And I, I truly believe that deep inside my heart. I'm religious, so I, I do believe in God. And I think God, the universe, however people want to put it, um, is on your side. And whatever you're trying to do in life, like as long as you have a clear aim and, and you go out with good intention to do it, uh, you'll be surprised. Uh, you'll be surprised what happens. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Since since we met in New York and you still live there, um, what is your favorite New York City subway line? <laughs> I I I'm, do you have a favorite? <laughs> none, but I actually I don't like riding the subway for many reasons. But I um wh- when I do, I take the F. And I I mean, it's hard to have a favorite line. I have had so many terrible experiences <laughs> in the subway. But I think the F train gets me home. And um, also the F train is on one of my favorite uh, rappers' songs. And so that's cool. He's like riding through the F train. I'm like, I'm riding through the F train. Facts. So I used to live in Brooklyn. I had to take the L. The L is one of the worst lines ever. (laughs) Don't take the L. (laughs) Um, What is one skill that you're currently working on? I don't know if spirituality counts as a skill. 
I've just been so focused and trying to get better with understanding. Um, I guess it's one way you can put it is understanding the heart, understanding like our reason for existence and trying to understand how that relates to me, but also gives me a broader understanding of humanity and how different people look at spirituality from different lenses. Um, and so I've been, um, trying to understand that more. And I think it's, it's been a beautiful journey the last month. Yeah. Amazing. What is something absurd that you love doing? Like something weird. (laughs) Oh, I love putting, uh, okay. I, I just did it this morning. I love putting honey on like everything. And I put honey on my eggs this morning and my sister called me a weirdo. And I just think, I mean, maybe it comes from me thinking that, you know, life is sweet. Like, why do we, why do we have to make it sour, bro? Like (laughs) some honey on it. If, if it's hard, if life is hard for you right now, just put some honey and, you know, of course, acknowledge the hard work through the hard, but at, at the end you have to arrive at a conclusion that despite the hard it's still it's sweet and it's all good and you can do it and there's hope and there's so many reasons to to do these things so yeah that's what honey makes me feel i just love it i put on everything (laughs) you literally beat me to the pun as soon as you said that i was like oh you just want to like sweeten up life (laughs) that's amazing um okay so one final question if you could leave the audience with one final piece of advice what would it be i would say really work hard on trying to sweeten your life and <laughs> the life of those around you. And I think there is uh, there's just so much beauty to be found um, in going through hardship. There's beauty to be found in the world. There's, uh, you know, there, there's just so much. And I, I think I just want us to remember that because despite the hard times, we, we can still make it through. And um, I, I know for so many people right now, especially like it's get it's going to get harder and life generally tends to get harder, but, but we get stronger. And I think that's beautiful. I think, I think we get stronger if we work on it. Um, in general, we, we, we get stronger because we go through experiences and, and we take learnings from them. But if we, int- if we intentionally work on getting stronger, like working on our skills for our mental health, our physical health, our relationships, et cetera, um, we can take what life throws at us and we can deal with it. And not only does life have to be about dealing with struggle, there is that beauty and sweetness that I'm talking about to life, which is, uh, you know, finding a purpose for you and understanding your meaning of life and understanding what spirituality means for you. If that's a, a, you know, a road you want to take and understanding, um, you know, what is, a life for you look like that's not just dealing with problems because we deal with so many problems in our lives. And so, yeah, remember that sweet in your life. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to the next Ted talk about honey (laughs) and sweetening your life and everything. (laughs) Oh, so inspirational to me, Mahmood. Thank you so much for being here. Um, That's it for today. Thanks. My goodness, Mahmood is one of the most inspirational people I know, and I am beyond grateful he was able to spend some time on the show. If you'd like to connect with Mahmood, check out his LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, or website, which are all linked in the show notes. And if you want more inspiration, check out his TED Talk on toxic positivity or one of his other talks on YouTube, which are all linked on his website. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.